the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. Thursday, December 9th, 2021. We were discussing yesterday what it means to be a moderate Republican. And a listener writes in, quote, in my view, a moderate means a willingness to compromise with the other side, which results in our side losing while Democrats win without a fight. Someone who usually is more socially liberal, think about abortion perhaps, and fiscally conservative, and we know how well that's worked out over the years with our debt and deficit. The listener continues, I think we've reached an ideological point where a moderate Republican won't cut it anymore. We need tough, smart, no baloney, take no prisoners Republicans who stand on our true and real principles, who aggressively push back like Trump did on the biased media and all the lies and disinformation they spew to America, who are unafraid, who are firm believers in the Constitution as written, who believe in national sovereignty, like the rule of law and secure borders, who stand for and support a strong national defense, who make an effort to work on limited, seriously, more limited government, who believe that anything not found in the Constitution is delegated to the states, who should bring back to Congress the responsibilities they've delegated to the bureaucrats. Let me, let me start by saying I agree with nearly all of that except one big thing. All of those things, which basically start with believing in the Founders' Constitution, being unafraid, supporting our sovereignty and rule of law, national defense, limited government, undelegated powers belonging to the state, should not be considered as anything other than moderate. Those should be every American's very starting points, very touchstones, very benchmarks. May I relate a story? Once upon a time, many moons ago, my then wife and I were at that point recently married. And you know how these things go, different dinners with different sets of friends so that we can kind of introduce our <laughs> communities and merge all the friendships and get to know one another. Well, we were at one of those dinners and one of my then wife's friends, knowing what I did, said to my then wife, so are you a Republican too? And she said, well, I'm a moderate Republican. I kind of wilted a bit because that is typically code for being what was described above, a Bill Weld or George H.W. Bush or David Souter or something like that, and usually pro-choice. And her friend said, oh, so you're pro-choice. And without missing a beat, my then wife said, oh, no, I'm very pro-life. My parents adopted 12 children, two of them the products of rape, and I, I wouldn't have two of my siblings if I understand the pro-choice movement. Isn't that kind of the moderate view? Close quote. A volume was spoken there, but it does get to the issue we need address. How did mere defense of the Constitution become seen as an extreme thing, to be seen as extreme? To and by my lights, the only reason it is extreme now in any sense, is only because it was extreme in 1787 as it was extreme in 1776 in the sense of those, that word's origin and etymology. Extreme's origin and etymology is, means outer, outermost. When you appeal to the laws of nature, 
to define yourselves based on your common humanity when every other state and nation state up until 1776 was founded on only one of two other things, blood or sectarianism, that's – well, that we would just say um, a little bit more than a decade later would be a new order of the ages. No country, no polity had done that before. And Thomas Jefferson, so part and parcel of all of that, pitched it that everyone, regardless of political party here, hewed to those starting points back then. He said, we are all Federalists, we are all Republicans, and that differences of opinion were not to be seen as differences of principle. So where did the idea of originalism become extreme? Well, it started when the Republican Party took originalism seriously in the 1960s. It's hard to impart, and it certainly isn't taught much in our schools these days, but the New Deal under Franklin Roosevelt was a monumental, a tectonic shift in political understandings about federal power and local power. And the court nominees, Roosevelt and then Eisenhower nominated, the nominees of that ilk, of that time and training, took it all further with the law, which is one of the great shapers and thus one of the great teachers of the culture, which is one of the great shapers and this, thus one of the great instructors of our politics. This is why Barry Goldwater's 1964 candidacy and 1960 book were such earthquakes, such revolutions in the most fundamental sense of that word, revolution. A revolution is a return. By the same token, the word radical should be remembered because it comes from the word root. Radicalism and revolution properly and originally understood were to take us back to a certain place. What place? Our roots. What are our roots? The new order of the ages. Constitutionalism, based on our understandings of equality and liberty, entitled to us by no fact other than that we were born human. That's it. Not what God you prayed to or what your last name was, but, well, by what Fred Rogers said. By just being you, by being a human being. And so when Goldwater said extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice, and that is the only phrase ever remembered from a political convention, I think, maybe no new taxes, it shocked. It was another earthquake of sorts. But it should not have been. Consider what Martin Luther King Jr. said around the same time in his letter from Birmingham jail. That was written only one year before Goldwater's campaign. Here's what he wrote. He wrote, Was not Jesus an extremist for love? Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use and persecute you. Was not Amos an extremist for justice? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness, like an ever-flowing stream. Was not Paul an extremist for the gospel? I bear in my body the marks of the Lord. Was not Martin Luther an extremist? Here I stand, I can, do no, I can do no other, so help me God. And John Bunyan, I will stay in jail to the end of my days before I make a butchery of my conscience. Abraham Lincoln, this nation cannot survive half slave and half free. And Thomas Jefferson, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. So the question King asked is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists we will be. Will we be extremists for hate or for love? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice or for the extension of justice? That was Martin Luther King. 
And today we don't think going to church or believing in Christianity of any stripe or form is extreme, do we? Or synagogue or opposing slavery, right? What is an odd turn of our lives and culture is that in the above list, really only citing Jefferson and the Declaration now is seen as extreme and negatively so. Now back to Goldwater. The extremism in the defense of liberty line was not about Vietnam. It was about the Republican Party, which at the San Francisco Convention in 1964 was battling between the forces of Rockefeller and Romney on the one side and Goldwater and his forces on the other. Rockefeller had given a speech stating the convention was witnessing a, quote, infiltration and takeover of established political organizations by communist and Nazi methods, close quote. Think about that. That's what Republicans were saying about each other then, and we argue about it when Nancy Pelosi says that kind of stuff now. Thank your then-moderate Republicans. As I keep saying, it ain't new. The only thing that's new is is the Pacific way in which we now look at back at Goldwater as representing the halcyon days of the Republican Party. Now, bear with, because it was Lincoln and Aristotle scholar Harry V. Jaffa who wrote that speech of Goldwater's. Histo- historian Steve Hayward, like me, a student of Harry's, studied all this and found while the extremism line is wholly defensible on its own terms, in the context it was certain to overshadow other notable passages in the speech that also bear testimony to Jaffa's thought and style. Goldwater, Jaffa, in that speech, say the laws of, refer to the laws of nature and nature's God from the Declaration of Independence, along with a brief for true and truly conservative egalitarianism, where they say equality, rightly understood as our founding fathers understood it, leads to liberty and to the emancipation of creative differences— Wrongly understood, as it has been so tragically in our time, it leads first to conformity and then to despotism. Nineteen years before Ronald Reagan outraged fashionable opinion by calling the Soviet Union an evil empire, Goldwater said, quote, Now the Republican cause demands that we brand communism as the principal disturber of peace in the world today. Indeed, we should brand it as the only significant disturber of the peace. And we must make clear that until its goals of conquest are absolutely renounced and its relations with all nations tempered, communism and the governments it now controls are enemies of every man on earth who is or wants to be free, close quote. And the prologue to the extremism line is vintage Jaffa. Quote, back in 1858, Abraham Lincoln said this of the Republican Party, and I quote him because he probably could have said it during the last week or so. It was composed of strange, discordant, and even hostile elements. End of the quote. Yet all these elements agreed on one paramount objective, to arrest the progress of slavery and place it in the course of ultimate extinction. Anyone, Goldwater says, who joins us in all sincerity, we welcome. Those who do not care for our cause, we don't expect to enter our ranks in the first place. And let our republicanism so focused and so dedicated not be made fuzzy and futile by unthinking and stupid labels. I would remind you, he then went on to say that extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. And let me remind you also that moderation in the pursuit of justice is no virtue. That was Goldwater. In the full context, we can make out how Goldwater's speech connected his supposed extremism with the historical cause of the Republican Party 
going back to its roots. And I'll take an anti-slavery pro-constitution and independent ethic any day over those who would palliate justice and liberty. Those who want to traduce individual rights and equality, those, I believe, are the real extremists today. For as Dr. Jaffa put it, extremism in the defense of liberty is not extremism in the defense of extremism. Rather, it's extremism in defense of moderation. For if freedom isn't moderate today, then slavery is. That's what the progressives have done to us. And maybe that, and precisely that, is that is why they broadcast the theses of the Confederacy in regard to our founding so often. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Speaking of extremism, it's interesting to me how extreme things and movements uh, become um, become weakened or take on the characteristic of moderation and commonality. Think for a moment of the Black Lives Matter movement. People couldn't fast enough declare their allegiance and adherence to it repaint streets and street names in its honor, even though they knew because they were told that its founders, at least two-thirds of them, were trained, as they said, Marxists. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. The philosophy didn't matter. Well, we've had a little bit of time with this now, haven't we? And if you go to the Black Lives Matter website, the below is the statement from Dr. Melina Abdullah, director of the Black Lives Matter Grassroots and co-founder of Black Lives Matter Los Angeles, on the ongoing trial of Jussie Smollett. This is what she writes. As abolitionists, we approach situations of injustice with love and align ourselves with our community because we got us. So let's be clear. We love everybody in our community. It's not about a trial or a verdict decided in a white supremacist charade. It's about how we treat our community when corrupt systems are working to devalue their lives. Before I go on, do you have any problem with we love everybody in our community? And then the next sentence says, it's not about a trial or verdict decided in a white supremacist charade. I'm just asking. They continue, in an abolitionist society, this trial would not be taking place, and our communities would not have to fight and suffer to prove our worth. I want you to pause on that sentence for a moment. The Black Lives Matter curriculum that we've cited here before and talked about innumerable times says we do not, states we do not have to justify our position. Is that what we have here? Another example of that? In an abolitionist, abolitionist society, this trial would not be taking place and our communities would not have to fight and suffer to prove our worth. Is Jesse Smollett fighting and suffering to prove his worth? Was, was, was there some grand conspiracy of white supremacists that paid off or encouraged or forced Jesse Smollett to do what he did? Or was it just some kind of weird impetus he had at some moment to save and salvage his career 
and try and get an assist from the anti-Trump forces in America, which is awfully easy to do. Remember what he claimed. He claimed they were MAGA hat-wearing men who put a noose on him. The statement goes on. Instead, we find ourselves once again being forced to put our lives and our value in the hands of judges and juries operating in a system that is designed to oppress us while continuing to face a corrupt and violent police department, which has proven time and again to have no respect for our lives. Jesse Smollett's trial right now is going on nearly two years after the incident he invented. Does that sound to you like a system designed to oppress him? They continue, in our commitment to abolition, we can never believe police, especially the Chicago Police Department, over Jesse Smollett, a black man who has been courageously present, visible, and vocal in the struggle for black freedom. Has he been? Did you know of, his, did you know of anything of him until this incident, actually? Um, and what, what, how, how quickly did we, did we lose um, we love everybody in our community? That was their, their third sentence. We go from we love everybody in our community to we can never believe police, especially the Chicago Police Department. They continue, while policing at large is an irredeemable institution, Chicago police is notorious for its long and deep history of corruption, racism, and brutality. And then it lists three or four cases. And then it finally concludes, Black Lives Matter will continue to work towards the abolition of police and every unjust system. We will continue to love and protect one another and wrap our arms around those who do the work to usher in black freedom and, by extension, freedom for everyone else. I'm not too terribly opposed to that final notion that nobody is free until you know, every part of the community is free. I, I, I can appreciate that point, and it should start with the least free. I have no problem with that. You can't really call yourself a free nation if you're living in 1859 or 60 or 61 or 2 or 3 or 4. I, I, I do appreciate that. I, I think that's right. Lincoln, Lincoln spoke to that. As I, am a, as I would not be a slave, so would I not be a master, he said. Any, any di- di- distinction from that to the extent of the distinction is no democracy. He, he was right about that. that. That's a fair point. But abolition itself was always seen as an extremist. The most famous abolitionist, the most famous of them, was known for doing what? Standing in the Boston Commons and burning the Constitution of the United States of America. That's abolitionism. That's abolitionism. And when people here are talking about their commitment to abolition, what is it they want to abolish? The police. Just a quick question. Quick question. When Jesse Smollett was discovered with a noose around his neck, who was it he called first? I'll leave that with you.
Yeah, that's a good point, Bill. Uh, so as a callback to the question yesterday, we can do this in December. Well, there's plenty of news. We'll get to it. Uh, there's a verdict in the Smollett case. We don't know what it is yet, but we'll get that to you as soon as it uh, is issued. Um, calling back to yesterday, are there more breakup songs or love songs? I have a thesis on this, but we came up with a couple ways to try this out. And what Bill and I came up with is we're going to take all of the songs in the bumper music today they are selected randomly, so there's no prejudicing the jury in the vernacular of our time. And see, are there is the balance of them, you know, breakup songs or love songs? Is that right, 24? Including our incoming, what's our top of the hour song? Well, I don't think two people would dance if they were falling out of love. Yeah, I think dance. The, we have to add dance the night away. All right, Keith is in Atlanta. Hello, Keith, how are you? I'm doing well, Seth. How are you? I am doing fine, but I'm worried about my country in big ways, buddy. Big ways. I'm wrong. I, and by that, I mean my country men. Does that make sense? Country the men, you mean? Well, the country, my country men, my fellow citizens. Oh, yeah. You know, when we speak doubt. about our country, when we say things like make America great again, it's only important and meaningful because we're talking about Americans, right? The people of America. You know, this this country could have been founded on any geographical location, right? It's the people we care about, isn't it? Yeah, and, and the Constitution, the, the, the document that really preserved the people's freedoms, that, that was such a great document. Our forefathers were really brilliant, way ahead of their time. Yeah, and it, does, and it didn't depend, that Constitution, my point being that that Constitution did not depend on the geographic locality in which it was issued, signed, or meant really, to cover, right? I mean, that could have been written uh, in Philadelphia as much as it could have been written in New York, as much as it could have been written, well, as you well know, on the hearts of man. And and you did a great job leading into it about uh, the concern of our own country. And it really comes down to, I'm watching the the story about the Fox the Christmas yeah, tree. Yeah, well, yeah, I wanted by. to talk about that. What's your thought on that? Let, let's, let's tell the story real quick. Uh, Fox News, for those that don't know, put a big you know, annual Christmas tree up in front, of its, uh, in front of its headquarters. It was burned down by an arsonist. Uh, a suspect was arrested, um, and he was, uh, we should say no one was hurt, as far as I know, right? I don't think anyone was hurt. As far as I know, he was arrested and released, and um, he's... He's, he seems to be a very disturbed individual, but that's that's basically the story. Go ahead, Keith. Right. He's got a long sheet, yeah. and he should have been dealt with. And I've heard um, the dollar figure damage, but that's not really what concerns me. I think I, I heard 500000 Is that right? Does that sound right to you? Is that the number you heard? That's that's what I heard, that's too. A pretty expensive, man, that like a that's a pretty expensive crime, yeah. But, you know, what I'm... What I'm getting at is I don't think he did it because of anti-Christian reasons. I just think that he did it because it was Fox News, and it's this time of the season, and Fox being affiliated with conservatism. And it's, it's, the, it's the movement of the, the left. They are so filled with hate that I don't—he may not be a leftist, but he feels like he can get—he has been empowered by that movement, and therefore he took advantage of it. But, but I also want to say this, and this is really what's got me concerned, because I'm not for this, but it's naturally going to lead to it. If the police 
which they're being shackled from doing their jobs. If these mayors keep shackling these police and putting them on the defensive and they're not enforcing the laws, if they're not allowed to enforce the laws, we're eventually going to see a vigilante movement. Well, I was just going to say, Keith, that's a good point. You know, for those who despise what Kyle Rittenhouse did, right, and are calling him a vigilante because vigilante once upon a time was a bad word in this country, right? right. I mean, this wasn't it? I mean, vigilante is not something you want to be called or right, – Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a negative. Kind of like- it's a pejorative. Um, if vigilantism is the problem, is getting rid of police going to increase it or decrease it? Who was that couple that had to hold a gun in front of their gated homes last year? I'm, you know who I mean, that couple? Yes, yeah, in St. Louis. Yeah. is They got in trouble for protecting their homes because the police could no longer do it. Right. Uh, let's 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 talk this through on the other side of this break, Keith. This is a really, sure, really sure. very important problem. It's not just that getting rid of police will lead to more crime. It will actually and not just cause more crime. It will be the impetus for everyone to take the law into their own hands. It's not more crime we'll see in and of itself. It's anarchy. It's anarchy. It's Thunderdome. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. What a fascinating point, Keith. We'll pick up on it when we come back. We're going to have a good sampling of songs to do this analysis. This is good. We're doing good. This is this is good December work. Keith in Atlanta, you still with me, Keith? I sure am. Thank you. You raised a really interesting point about you know reimagining, defunding, and getting rid of the police, depending on where you stand on that spectrum of liberalism. Um, each each one moving uh, farther farther uh, farther le- leftward. Um, if you look at the history of vigilantism, and you can go to you know any 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 you know historical source you want online is probably the easiest. You see that it's not a very good record. It's not a, it's not a very positive thing. It doesn't lead to very good things, and in fact was the reason. George Washington pushed and Thomas Jefferson signed the Insurrection Act, right? I mean, that's our history with it. But it goes back further than that, doesn't it? I mean, the notion of a law unto oneself came from a lofty concept. Um, The lofty concept of being a law unto yourself really comes uh, originally uh, not, not... as I understand it in the Book of Romans, but prior to that in Aristotle's book on ethics as a positive thing, because it's, it's the virtuous man should be a law unto himself. Because that's about if, you, if you're a just man, you know, you, know, you don't need, you don't, if, if you're in a community of just men, you don't, need, you don't need enforcers of justice. But our founders knew we weren't just men, right? If men were angels, there would be no government necessary, Right. So good history lesson. Well, I don't mean it to be. I'm just thinking it through philosophically for you. Right, though. Right? But then you do get to some of those other biblical concepts, which came a little bit later than Aristotle, right? A little more recently than Aristotle. And you have these these concepts such as people, people who, by nature, do things in the law, naturally, 
They are a law unto themselves. That's almost an Aristotelian understanding of it. But notice the qualification in the Bible. The qualification is do things that are understood by natural law, right? Right. We don't live in that community. We may live that, that com- in that community in a church, a mosque, or a synagogue. We may. You know, you hope you have a community of believers in each and every one of those that, that act in accordance with the, with the best will of God, right? You hope for that. But in civil society, you don't have that, especially a civil society that is not based on, theocratic, uh, on theocracy. And that's why we must have law. And that's why the Constitution is built on a concept known as organic law. Go ahead. You're interjecting the Bible into it, and that's the Bible has actually been an argument why the death penalty should be allowed. I can't remember where in Deuteronomy where it talks about the people who um, it's, it's, it's government should act just and quick to ensure that. Uh, society remains civil. Right, and, right. And, 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 and when government does not do its job, this chaos breaks out. We're seeing this playing out. And I, I'll tell you one thing. This is why I, I hate saying this. The police need to do their job because, you're right, the anarchy will break out. But the criminals will, I tell you what, the criminals should be thankful that we had the police because the police, when they arrest them, they treat them with their 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 rights and everything but when the but when the vigilantism grows and they get fed up with the criminals there is not going to be any holding back the the people when they finally have had enough are going to go full bore to stamp this crime out and it's going to get really brutal i i really hope that this does not happen the only way i see that this won't happen is when the people vote the democrats out and law and order is restored but if if we keep on the present path we're on, it's going to break out really bad. I mean, very bad. Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you. If we, if, if we don't have the respect of the rule of law, this, this was the concern of the probably most famous first and early speech Abraham Lincoln gave in 1838, the Lyceum Address. It's all about the reason that we have a, a law, law in America and what the love of law teaches and how we must respect the law, and how lawlessness, of course, leads to anarchy. And there's no point to having a country. There's no point to having a constitution or a country if everyone is going to take the law into their own hands. Now, the reason this is so deeply impassioned to me is because of what I kind of learned— I suppose, as a young child from the 60s. Um, think of the book. We, we reviewed this a few weeks ago, but think of the book To Kill a Mockingbird or the movie, if you prefer. It's handled just as well in either, in either case. The Harper, you, know the, you know the book and movie or the book or movie, To Kill a Mockingbird? I, I, I do. Yeah. Isn't the whole book and movie about two things? Isn't it really about two things? Isn't it about, one, obviously setting up a, uh, a racial minority to take the fall for other problems? You know, a, a scapegoat, to make a scapegoat yes. of a racial minority. That, that's point one, and that, that's the thread throughout. But there's another thread throughout, 
And that's the thread that's forgotten. The first thread is remembered. The second thread is forgotten. But the second thread is Harper Lee's hero, Gregory Peck's character, right? Who is up against all the anarchists and going out to protect him from who? The mob. The mob. Yes. Innocent client to be protected from the mob. Wasn't that Atticus Finch's lesson to his children and to the community and the book? Wasn't that the lesson? That you can't have guilt and innocence in any sense or civil society in any way if you're going to throw people to the mob? Yeah. Now, isn't it interesting at the same time that this book is no longer in fashion? I would love to know from parent listeners or student listeners um, if that book is still taught in schools, if it's taught or assigned, I should say, taught or assigned. Um, I'd love to know because it's instructive on both those things, both those issues, racism and justice, a.k.a. the rule of law. Real quick, Seth, don't you agree that this is purposeful, all this chaos that's breaking out? The Absolutely. Democrats want this chaos so that uh, citizens will beg for yes. the government to move yes. in and Yes, and, and I'll it prove control. it on the other side of this break, Keith. Yes, and I'll prove it yeah. on the other side. And that's side what of this I think break. is the sinister you plot bet. behind it. You bet. Okay. I'll Thank say you, it on Seth. the other side. We'll be right back. God bless you, Keith. 6025080960. We'll be right back. Our resident uh, Lincoln and Bob Dylan scholar, listener Steve, was uh, just responding. Give him the quote, he said. Give him the quote. What did Lincoln say about the law in that Lyceum address that you referenced? He said, let every man remember that to violate the law is to trample on the blood of his father and to tear the charter of his own and his children's liberty. Let reverence for the laws be breathed by every American mother to the lisping babe that prattles on her lap. Let it be written in primers, spelling books, and almanacs. Let it be preached from the pulpit, proclaimed in the legislative halls, and enforced in the courts of justice. In short, let it become the political religion of the nation. Think about what that means. Think about what that means. The political religion of of the nation, we should think of our love of country almost as strongly as we should think of our love of our faith, of our God. Think about what Lincoln's saying there. Lincoln thought this country was the last best hope of earth. He was perhaps the first after the founders to appeal to the themes and notions of American greatness. Think about that for a moment. Think about that. I don't know how, and maybe my friend Steve, who's helping me out here on uh, email, I don't know how law and order became a dirty word, but it did. The phrase, not word, phrase. It became a dirty phrase. You know, I, I have a thesis as to how it became so. You, you're used to hearing about dog whistles 
all the time now, right? It's a dog whistle for white supremacy. It's a dog whistle to the KKK. It's a dog whistle to racism, blah, 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 right? Everything's a dog whistle. I think the original dog whistle to racism appeal was on the phrase law and order. That when Ronald Reagan or Barry Goldwater were campaigning in the South and talking about law and order, by the way, notice that's what journalists do. When Ronald Reagan or Barry Goldwater were campaigning in the South talking of law and order, that was a dog whistle to racism. Guess what? They weren't saying anything in the South. They weren't saying in the North. Why wasn't an appeal there? Do the dogs hear differently in the North than in the South? No, of course not. And why do I think the Democrats are pushing it on? As Keith in Atlanta said, I'll tell you why I think that, why it's in their interest. I'll tell you why I think that. I think that because when we had the precursors to these movements, the Weathermen, the Weather Underground, the Black Panthers, and that that whole conjurie from roughly 1965 to 1975, Democratic leaders couldn't run fast enough away from it and denounce it. Today, they go online to make appeals to it. I'm Seth Liebson. 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 